When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone, please listen to the end of the episode for a very big announcement. Hello, hello. Welcome to 30 and a Bit. My name is Pete, and each episode I try to solve one of the questions you run into after hitting the big 3-0 together with an expert. Today's question is, should I invest in art and where do I begin? Our amazing guest today is Jess de la Hunty. Jess is from Australia and studied in Sydney, where she got her Bachelor's of Psychology before mastering in Art Administration. Jess has been working in art her whole career and is now art gallery director at Alchemy Gallery in New York. She's lived in New York for over 13 years. Jess is 36 years old, married, and has a daughter. Welcome, Jess. I'm so excited you're here. My My first question to every expert always is, how are your 30s going so far? Um, I would say incredibly well. They're definitely way better than my 20s. Uh, when I, before I, I remember when I was 29, I was about to turn 30. Someone, one of my friends that's like five, 10 years older than me, she said like, wait for your 30s. Like they're the best. So much better than my 20s. I think my 20s were, when I reflect on them, like I had a lot of fun, but it was also like, I was so unsure of myself and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I felt like I worked really hard, but for no fucking money ever, (laughs) you know, four jobs, but like barely making ends meet. And, um, although I don't know, am I doing much better than that now? I don't know. It's all different with a kid, but, um, (laughs) but, but yeah, definitely, definitely the, the best decade so far. And actually now I'm really pumped for my forties. Really? Mm, I never thought I'd say that, but yeah, I'm pumped for it. Maybe because I have more friends in their 40s now than I did in my 20s, so it seems scarier, but the people that I know in their 40s have been having a great time. That's so fun. Well, you've got a couple more years left in this decade, which is good. Living in New York and having a toddler is just so expensive. It is just... It's stupid. Like I don't recommend it, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I do love it nonetheless. <laughs> I could we could have spaced things out a little bit better. Like I opened the gallery when I was seven months pregnant, and then we had our daughter, and then five months later we went and got had a wedding, and just like those things all together, like that close together is very stupid. (laughs) (laughs) While I did try to space those things out, they just all ended up happening within the same year. (laughs) We're getting amazing New York City sounds in the background. I'm kind of really into it. The buses, the sirens. 
I want to go Unfortunately. back. <laughs> it's all good. I am so excited to talk about all things art and the art scene with you. I think a lot of people in our age group are starting to have some more income if they don't necessarily have children and live in the most expensive city in the world. And I think also... Um, COVID taught us one thing that, um, having a nice house is really important for sanity, especially if you work remotely. So you also want to look at nice things. So I think maybe it's also gotten to become like a bit more of a passion for a lot of people. So I'm excited to talk about art. I think I'm kind of romanticizing the, the job of running an art gallery, but maybe I'm not, I would love to hear from you what your day to day looks like. What do you do? So no day-to-day is the same. That's one thing. And I sort of think about each and every exhibition that we do as like a brand new project. And we really tailor like our marketing efforts, the exhibition design, the way we approach collectors. We kind of like change it every time because like no artist collector's base is the same. Of course I have like my top 10 big collectors. And even for them, I tailor which works that I, I present to them because I don't want to inundate people's inboxes. It make it keeps it interesting, but it also doesn't mean that any day is the same. If you came in here and just like sat in the gallery and kept it open, it might be kind of similar. You have, you know, people coming in off the street saying, is any of this for sale? Can I come in? Like, yes, we are a, a for-profit gallery. We're not a museum. Yes, you can come in. No, you don't have to pay to come in. Yes, everything is for sale, but you can look at it without like having to buy it. Um, because like the, where we stand as well is like a lot of people just don't know that they can come into galleries and just look. And it's true that we want to sell artwork. Like for the artists, I think it's really important for people to see their work. And that's what we found. And I found um, having opened the gallery post-COVID, like there was a lot of artists that were selling just fine out of their studios, but it was super sad for them to just be like making things and having it just go straight into a collector's house and like not getting the eyes on it because it's like people make things for people to see it. Interesting. I've never actually thought about how nice and important it also is for the um, creator to have it in an art gallery. The sale isn't necessarily the most important bit. That's what you want in the end, but you also want people to see it and appreciate it and exactly. feel something, exactly. I guess. I never thought about that before. I, I keep encountering all these artists that like, they're like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm pumped, but I just realized like not, no one's seen anything. I haven't actually put anything on a wall and got to be proud of it. And then it's like, so that's a really nice gratifying thing about owning a gallery and even I before opening the gallery had like you know worked with artists to promote their work and sell it with collectors but there's something about the system of talking to them have watching them create it and then being able to put it up on a wall in a way that makes sense for them and the viewers that like is incredibly gratifying that's a really good point um does art go through many trends and if so what is a big trend right now Totally open to trends. Um, the biggest two trends I think is like figurative work, so bodies and figurative surrealism. So if you think like Dali and Magritte as like artists, that, that like the more famous ones, you have a lot of artists now just like using their imaginations and, and painting human bodies in ways that I just think are so like impressive and that's certainly a huge trend right now. And like female painters doing that is a huge trend right now which is nice to see because obviously it's like like everything everything else you know the big top sellers are typically men um and then the other thing that 
I believe is sort of having a moment right now is uh, sound pieces. So sound uh, works uh, seem to be getting collected by museums quite a bit. We have a a cool sound piece in our current show by an artist called Dom Duraso, and she she's just been collected by actually a major museum in Stockholm, I believe. But this is like an area that we're seeing. And the last time sound pieces and sound work was sort of this popular or getting this much attention, I think it was about 10 years ago. So is that behind you also? Yeah, this is actually sort of figurative as well. You can't probably tell here, but it's... Uh, it's a Swedish artist and it's all it's all human figures like layered and layered upon each other. It's very, very pretty. What are some names of those trendy artists that we can look up? I would say like my favorite, personal favorite one right now is uh, an artist called Simon Foxall. I'm actually showing him in a, a solo booth in Mexico City in February. Uh, I think he is incredibly good and heather benjamin is also another artist that i also recently collected and have shown she just had a solo booth in miami strong female figures and they're just incredibly vibrant and like both of them use their imaginations in just ways that i could never even like contemplate uh kelly shammy as well is a great artist that we have shown and is showing with a bunch of galleries right now and doing incredibly well for herself what do you think is generally a good investment when it comes to art so the golden rule of investing is is collecting stuff that you like first and foremost because just like any other investment nothing is guaranteed you're taking a risk so you may as well fucking like looking at that risk you know but there was a book called uh collecting contemporary art which used to be sort of like the holy grail for new collectors and it came out probably like 15 years ago now but one of the things that it said was like if you want to invest in art you need to be sort of buying art that can command you know five to ten thousand dollars in the first place sure people have picked up bargains for a few hundred dollars and there's nothing wrong with that and aesthetically often they'll look great on your walls and there's nothing wrong with that but is it going to turn into a hundred thousand dollar painting later on it's probably unlikely so that's the first one you need to sort of put down a, a little bit of money obviously collect within your budget and then there's things like if you want to really collect you know you see works going from 20 to 30,000 that's a very that's like buying Tesla stock or Amazon stock or something it's kind of solid if an artwork can command 20 to 30,000 dollars then they're very much solidified within the within the art world and are probably going to appreciate so long as they continue to do what they need to keep doing. Ideally, like artists that are represented in or collected by museums, that they have strong bases. Um, you want to see ex- solid exhibition histories for artists that you want to collect. Granted, you know, there's a lot of really promising artists that have, that have limited stuff because they are young. When it comes to investing, yeah, you will need to drop a bit of money, five to ten thousand dollars for emerging artists, twenty to thirty thousand dollars, and then you're looking for solid exhibition history. And ideally, yeah, like representation across like multiple platforms. So even if you need to drop 20 to 30K on a piece of art, there's still a chance that it'll increase. There's a great chance that it'll increase, actually. I would say paintings and um, prints, you can see a little bit of an increase on, um, but certainly they're more accessible. But paintings are really where it's at. Works on canvas are kind of like the gold standard for art investment. So a good example was, is like eight, eight, nine years ago, I went to this very well-known gallery in the Lower East Side, 
they had this show by this gorgeous artist and they were these beautiful big paintings. And I remember it distinctly because I wanted one of them so badly. It was $8,000. I had no credit in the US. I had a job that paid me virtually no money. And I just, I, and I remember it being $8,000 because I ran the numbers each way and every way to see if I could buy it. And, uh, and I fucking couldn't. And I, you know, I was bummed about it. Fast forward about four years later, that artist's work has turned up at auction. It sold for 200,000, not the same art painting that I saw, but a painting of the same size. It sold for $220,000. And so that painting that I wanted back then would have been a you know, quarter of a million dollar painting now. That's so painful. I know it was painful because it, like just mainly because I loved it so much. That doesn't happen with every artist, but it just sort of shows, you know, he was sort of new then that his painting still could command um, that price range, which is a very good price range for emerging artists. But, you know, it comes with a big, a, as big of a risk, you know, and $8,000 is still a lot of money, no matter which way you look at it. So at that time, I collected a lot of prints and I still continue to collect prints, but now I've sort of transitioned to collecting like my, the, the last four paintings that I've bought personally for my collection have all been works on canvas, like five to $12,000 range. Yeah, they're, they're emerging artists in that range and you feel like they're definitely going to go up in value. But most importantly, you love the works. I love them. I love looking at them. I love being around them. I've... Uh, you know, I said figurative work was having a moment right now and I love it because figurative is sort of my favorite thing to collect and it has been for a minute, but you get a lot of naked bodies and like my poor husband is just like, I don't know if I really want this sad naked man on our wall. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I like looking at it. I don't know if necessarily he likes looking at all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're just hanging it up anyway. <laughs> I mean, there's some stuff that we, you know, we live in a New York apartment. So really we're at a, the point where like we have to cycle through things around. We can't fit everything on the walls even if we wanted to have them up. So it's just sort of about finding balance. But like I have this one and I love it. It's this like guy in a bath and it's like the way that she's painted and he's smoking a cigarette and the way that she's painted the water and like the mood of it is just so beautiful. But like my husband hates it because it bums him out so much. <laughs> but now instead of that one we have a naked woman up on the thing and he hasn't said a word about not wanting that up on the wall so you know okay <laughs> so you're safe <laughs> that's so good I feel like there is just this little elite circle in New York that kind of decides on who's a good artist and who's not a good artist is this just something I made up in my mind or is there some truth in that no, it's not elite. Well, I mean, I mean, of course, there's douchebags in the, in any industry, but and there there are certainly elite little groups. Um, and I wouldn't say that I would be a part of those. Um, you know, there's definitely. I think in any industry, you've got small groups of rich kids who grew up incredibly privileged and sort of run various pockets of that industry. Um, but I think the art world, like like fashion or you know lifestyle, you know it just undergoes trends, you know, and, and some things pick up steam where other things don't. But um, one thing that I say I think is very useful is like if you do want to collect, I think it's like anything people say, like they don't see the value. If you don't understand the industry, you don't see the value of an art advisor or working with a gallery like mine. But there's just too much information out there for anyone outside of the industry to really know how to digest it. But I'm constantly talking to 
other gallery directors, art advisors, collectors. So I know what those trends are. So a lot of people on the outside just think, why would I get an art advisor if like, I'll just do the research myself. And I'm like, you should do that. But also like, it's much easier said than done. So if you want to know what those trends are, you, like it pays and, and you want to be investing, investing in art as well. It really does pay to work with someone who is immersed in the industry, at least even for the first couple of years, because like, you're just not going to know. Like I laugh at it now. I found it really frustrating, you know, eight, eight years ago when I was privately advising, I would suggest artists to collectors. And I'm like, this artist is doing this, this, and this. They have this show. This is the price range. I think you should get it. You know, the collector wouldn't collect it. Then a year later, they'd circle back and like, oh yeah, you know that I do want that piece that you told me about a year ago. And I'm like, yeah, I, I bet you do. It's not available. <laughs> and these ones now are three times the price. <laughs> but, but yeah, like you should really listen to me or at least someone like me, you know, when they, when they say like wholeheartedly that you should be collecting X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I always try and like tailor stuff to my clients, needs, aesthetic, um, but like I always have like investment in the back of my mind or as a consideration when it comes to suggesting artists. Got it. So people can come to you with like an idea of the space that they want to hang it, what size could be good, um, the aesthetic of the room and then, and maybe also their personal taste. And then you can go out, out and source something. Exactly. Exactly. And I have, you know, my husband and I have made some like nice investments ourselves our friends will be like, oh, why don't you tell us about this? I was like, I did. <laughs> That's the thing. There's definitely a leap of faith involved in it. Now, look, and there's like plenty of people that don't, that just want to feel, like I said, fill a space on a wall and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you do want to have that extra facet of it being investable, like you need some background information. For example, like I don't know how to read stocks and stock trends. I'm not good at that. If I really wanted to start investing in that, I would ask someone that actually knows what they're doing. It's kind of the same when it comes to art. That's a good comparison for sure. As someone who wants to buy their first piece of art, where do you think they should start? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. I would I would start on Instagram. Instagram's a great resource for discovering new artists and just like getting a feel for what you like. Just because you don't necessarily know what you're looking at, it doesn't mean you don't like it. And sometimes your gut reaction is good. And if you really, really love something and you can afford it, buy it. But I would start by looking on Instagram. Following, finding some artists that you like, saving those images, going, you know, through that nice little rabbit hole of scrolling where you're like, okay, that artist like that one or what's your suggested artist and just saving the images that you like to see if that there's a common thread. Artsy.com is a very good resource for artists, um, sorry, for collectors because it has 
so many artists on there, not all of them. It's an expensive platform to be on as a gallery. So, and there are plenty of really talented artists that aren't on there because their representing galleries have decided to move outside of that framework. But Artsy is a good research, a resource for that. And then, like I said, if you have a gallery nearby or even on Instagram, if there's a gallery that you like and they're showing works that you like, DM them and say like, hey, like I really like your program. I like this artist. Like what's the price range and or, you know, what would you suggest? I like X, Y, and Z. Like do you have any suggestions? And most galleries will be open to doing that. That would be my suggestion. Have a look around, see what you like, see if there's any galleries or any advisors that you want to engage. Most advisors make their money off the sales. Like they take a percentage, they negotiate a percentage with the gallery. So a lot of the time it's kind of like a no risk thing for collectors to engage an advisor. So Because it's not more expensive when you buy the pieces. No, the galleries aren't going to sell those pieces to you with the discount. They would sell it to the advisor, but it's like an ecosystem. You know what I mean? So like, so you're not any, you're not paying any more and you're not any worse off to engage an advisor most of the time. Now there are some really, really fancy advisors and I'm sure that they charge like retaining fees. It's not normally for clients that are spending millions a year and they might not buy anything for three years, but when they do, it's a very expensive piece that, you know, people have to pay their bills in the meantime. But I'm going to take a punt and say that most people in their mid-30s or in their 30s looking to invest art for the first time aren't about to drop a few million on a piece just yet. No, I'm <laughs> so, going to guess that's not that's my audience. problem. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, what you mentioned earlier about um, when you see a piece of art and you can't afford it, do it. This reminded me, I was in South Africa in April And I was in a winery and they had this exhibition by an artist. I should have looked up her name, obviously, before starting this recording. Um, But it was a piece that I immediately fell in love with. And I texted the gallery on Instagram. I think it was even a Sunday, Sunday late. And I texted them and they immediately got back to me and they wrapped it all carefully so I could take it on the flight. And I'm so happy with it. It is still, I adore it. I think about my biggest regrets and like, it's just all pieces I should have bought, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And this one wasn't even that expensive. So I was like, yes, please pack it up. It's I'm so happy with it still. And that's also the nicest time and not one of the nicest times to buy because you're commemorating like a trip that you were on as well. So like, you know, it's when there's stories behind it and it's like, you love it. Like that's the perfect scenario to buy something. And I have pieces that I've spent Tens of thousands on, I have pieces that I've spent hundreds of dollars on, and each of them are different, like have different stories behind them, and I love them kind of equally, and I like having that sort of difference. Like I have this one piece that I was like, we'd moved houses and we'd moved to a much bigger apartment and needed to get some extra stuff, but I was really trying to like not go to Ikea and get all the extra shit that we needed. I was trying to, you know, do that like recycle stuff. So I was on Craigslist looking for a a dresser, and I Googled and I like typed in dresser and uh, just like ran. I was like, Panther art came up and I'm like, doesn't fulfill any of the criteria. How did this come up? And then I clicked on it. I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Like it was a giant Panther painting, very 80s vibes and like thick um, with like thick oil paint on it. And I was like, ha ha ha. And I showed it to Adam, my husband, and like was like, oh, Look at this. I mean, like, it's not exactly the dresser that I was going to go ahead and, like, 
laughed it off and then closed the tab. And then I was like, 20 minutes, I was like, reopened that tab. And I was like, I love this painting. We're going to get it. It's $150. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, it was too big to even fit in an Uber. But like, and now it just sits in my daughter's room looking like insane, but it's so fun. <laughs> I like that. I also bought, um, I want to say her name is Heather Day, uh, a print by her. It was like a limited edition print because I'll, I couldn't afford her actual work. But I'm also well, still really happy. It's a great really way to happy. collect artists. Yes. Yeah. I'm happy that it was a limited edition, which made it feel a little bit more special. And I framed it really nicely. Very happy with that piece. And I just looked up, there's two artists that are very high on my list, but much more expensive. One is CJ Hendy, which you would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's actually a friend of mine. She's the best. She's so big right now, but getting a drawing by her, she's so talented. That would be amazing. And there's another one. He's a bit more affordable. He isn't that big yet, but Zhuang Hong Hongi Art. What is he on Instagram? He is. So it is for anyone listening Z H U A N G H O N G. Y I A R T. <laughs> Very tough. Okay. And yeah. when you look at videos of his work, the color of the works change as you move left to right or right to left. And it is just oh, cool. insanity. Oh, sweet. I love it. Yeah. Definitely going to get my hands on those one day. So uh, I think most galleries work with this organization. And I certainly wish it was around when, like, I wanted to buy that $8,000 piece all those years ago. It's called Art Money and my gallery works with them. But basically it's an organization that lends you the money and then you do in, but it's like, unlike like a lender or going to a bank, it's interest free. So basically say you're, and, and they just, um, so say you bought a $10,000 piece, it's a thousand dollars. You just pay them back a thousand dollars a month for 10 months they pay the gallery right away so you get the work right away and the way that and they don't charge you any interest the way that they make their money is they actually take a like an advisory cut from the gallery side again so it's a really fucking good thing because if you think about you want to buy a five thousand dollar like if i'd have had that as a, at my disposable like just at my disposable if i'd have had that at my disposal all those years ago, I could have paid $800 a month for 10 months and I probably could have managed that. That said, it still would have been a stretch because I was very poor, but, but I could have, I could, it could have managed that. Do you know what I mean? And so it's a really good, that's kind of the perfect thing I think for first time collectors. It allows you to get that little bit further when it comes to your reach, but like, and with, without getting a whole bunch of debt or chucking it on a credit card or something like that art money it's a really good thing and so that actually might be a perfect thing if you to do like for Zhuang's work it's also stimulating a lot more sales in your business exactly exactly and it is really perfect you know most people that can afford a thirty thousand dollar piece probably don't need financing just as a general rule but if you want to get a if you can afford a ten thousand dollar piece but that might not be super comfortable to drop all at once that kind of feels like where a lot of people in their 30s and 40s are when it comes to art collecting. And that's, I think, where this company was sort of born from is like they recognize that there's this collector base that that want to be sensible but also want to collect at that level. So it's a, it's a really good thing. And it's like, yeah, it's always 10 months. So you're not, you're not signing up for 10-year like loans. It's 10 months, really super simple. Divide it by 10, no interest, done. So they pay the gallery, you get the work, and then – you just pay them. 
Very cool concept. Um, have you ever seen a really bad investment? Yes. I, I have a couple of collectors that bought things before they met me and did their own research and paid a lot of money for artists that are not going to be investable, you know, but they thought because they spent ten, fifteen thousand dollars that that it was just a surefire thing. And then they asked me how much those works are worth now. Almost nothing. And I'm like, well, they have a lot of sentimental value for you. And they're like, well, I paid this much. And I was like, yeah, but like this artist only sells their own work. They haven't exhibited anywhere. They don't seem to be progressing in a way like that. They're not working on their practice. They're doing the same thing over and over again. And like kudos to them. You make a good living like that, you know, but it's just not investable art, you know. They're not joining the wider art conversation. They're not growing as artists. Uh, and, and again, you don't need to, you know, but if when it comes to art investing, these kinds of things do matter if you want to, like, see some appreciation. And you would have been able to see that before they bought the pieces and advise against it? Yeah, exactly. You know, I do have collectors that just don't care about that. They just want something to fill a space and, and that they really like. And sometimes, then that's fine. Um, but if they want it, I'll, I'll typically ask, you know, my collectors, you know, okay, you like this artist and you're considering work by them. What is it about the work that you like the most? You know, if it is a certain aesthetic and, or, you know, if it's a certain color palette or just the technique, I will try to gently sway them in a way perhaps a different artist that's doing those similar things, but in a way that is like more culturally relevant and they're joining the wider conversation that's happening in the art world and they're exhibiting more extensively or, you know, doing things like, uh, you know, fellowships, you know, things like that, that, that is putting them into the, into the mainstream and, you know, leading them to, to more success. But then also some people have so much money that they don't, they don't care. They're like, Fifteen thousand dollars is nothing. They just, you know, and that's nice for them. Yeah, must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> you've uh, given us a couple of examples of some pieces of art that you've invested in or that you bought, maybe not even really bought to increase in value, but because you love them so much. What to you is the most beautiful piece you own? Oh no, that's hard. You can't say that because, um, yeah, they're like my children, and I love them, and it's like. I do have the idea that I will sell some of them eventually, but I don't. I don't want to. As a gallerist, you don't. You don't really want the work that you're selling to collectors. The original work that you're selling to collectors to be resold at auction a year later. You kind of want. It creates volatility within any artist market, and it is definitely like you kind of want in an ideal scenario. An artist starts showing. In an ideal scenario, they sell out every show. You increase their prices, you know, 5 to 10% every show that they do or every year if they're doing multiple shows with multiple galleries. And you sort of have a slow and steady increase in that sort of, you know, what where you do run into problems is when you have like an artist really takes off. So say their work sale for five ten thousand $10,000 and the next minute they're going to auction and selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, this is such a huge jump in such a short amount of time. And, like, once an artist's price goes up, it's very hard. You can't really bring it back down. Like, it fucks up their market to bring it back down again. So young artists that, like, get this really early success and then their prices skyrocket, like, 
they kind of get fucked. So galleries and dealers try their best to sort of make sure that doesn't happen. But of course it always does. You have gung-ho collectors that like collect and flip. It's called flipping. Um, And you generally try not to sell to people. A lot of galleries will have like in their clauses, their purchase clauses that you're not allowed to sell the work for three years. Just to try and protect the artist market if you're doing the responsible thing. Yeah, I really learned a lot about the relationship between galleries and artists as well and how as a gallery you also have certain expectations and standards to uphold to not fuck up your own market and the market for your clients. I I was always kind of believing that you just want to sell out an artist as soon as possible and then that the price shoots up and things get resold and la la la. But that's not really the case. Ideally, you know, you want the best for your artists and what's best for your artists is to create like a stable market for them. Um, and Because the other thing is, is like, say a pri- they're selling pieces at $5,000, but then, you know, you get a different gallery or something and, and then all of a sudden they push their price up to $12,000. Now, it's not quite as easy. There's no guarantee to say your collectors that were buying at 5,000 and selling out shows at 5,000 are going to be selling out shows at 12,000, but you can't then go back and take the prices back down to 6,000 because that's a shitty move. You piss off any collectors that bought at the higher end of the market. So it's a balance and it, it definitely takes like communication between galleries and reading the art market and just trying to balance like a ton of stuff. <laughs> Amazing. I have already learned so much in this episode, but my final question, if you could give the listeners one takeaway, what would it be? It would be, I mean, it's like, this is like investing or like saving, like start as soon as you can. Like I, my biggest regret is like not starting to collect earlier. I mean, I did want to, I just couldn't afford it. But when I started privately advising even though I didn't have a ton of money myself, it was kind of like a nice nod to myself. I'm like, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and just start collecting the artists that like I'm telling my clients to. And it's worked out really well for me. And this is where I have friends that like, why didn't you tell me to collect this 10 years ago when you did? And I was like, I mean, I did. You just didn't believe me then because it wasn't worth what it is now. Like that's just kind of the risk that you take. But if you're thinking about it, start early and but buy things that you like. Because I think like you said, like you bought that piece that you love and now it's sort of like, It definitely is like a bug that you catch. Once you start collecting, it kind of can become a little sickness, but a a nice one. And it's a fun way to, (laughs) (laughs) as you get into your 30s as well, like you don't have time to do a lot of like other hobbies. And like, I feel like that's one thing that is characterized by my 30s. And I'm sure many people share this. It's like, you want to talk about like the things that kind of seemed lame when you were in your 20s, you know, like culture and the way that like economics and money moves around the world like those things are like pretty interesting to me now where I think 25 year old me would have been like shut up art is such a great way to like to be involved in those kind of things and it's like you know you can go as deep as you want on it you know like I said world economics is something that definitely plays like a huge part in the way that art moves and the trends that we see in art and um and then you know finding artists that you like and finding out their stories is incredibly fascinating and very like rewarding so um if you're thinking about it I'd, I'd say start start trying to start just getting involved in like local art scenes it's a great way to get a few free drinks as well and meet up with some people from time to time <laughs> very good tip Thank you so much. I I have learned so much more about this conversation than I actually thought going into it. Uh, oh, really? really? Really fascinating world. Yeah, just especially understanding the relationship between 
a gallery and the artist is fascinating. It was something I w was completely unaware of. And I'll probably look at galleries differently now too, for the better. I'm going to hop into more, that's for sure. I feel like, yeah, if you don't understand the relationship between galleries and artists, like you think of, gal people think of galleries as these big fat cats just sort of lording over and they have no idea like how much fucking work it is and like how how much we're responsible for and we're like it, it's a lot <laughs> I believe that immediately can we follow alchemy somewhere yeah um we're on instagram as alchemy.gallery and uh and on the internet as well as alchemy-gallery.com <laughs> and so then me personally um me personally is at just Ella hunty all together and that's where I show a lot of like my collection and like artwork outside of the gallery that like I'm recommending to collectors. Ooh, so we get an insight mm. there. Ooh, everyone go follow. <laughs> I'll make sure to put all the links on uh, the website as well, 30andabit.com. Thank you so much, Jess. This was a great conversation and I'm absolutely obsessed with the art behind you. And I'm going oh, to have to look into that artist now. Yeah, this is a Swedish artist called Mia Annell, E-N-E-L-L. She's part of this immigrant artist uh, biennial that the gallery is hosting right now. Stunning. Stunning. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks, Pete. Good to chat. My dearest listener, it is with a heavy heart, but also with a slight relieved heart that I share with you that this is the last interview um, in this podcast for a while. Next week, I'll upload the five questions with Jess, and that'll be it for the foreseeable future. Starting a podcast was always a really big dream, and it was always a goal to keep making this English podcast for at least a year. It is now turning one, and I have to be honest to myself and conclude that um, it's not making me enough money to keep it going. As you can probably imagine, creating this takes quite a bit of time, and I want to keep putting great content out for both, both out of respect for you and for the experts who so graciously give their time to me. Um, I've met some incredibly smart and talented people who are so driven in their field and so knowledgeable. And I learned so many things. I have become that annoying person to quote my experts all the time at the dinner table. <laughs> I will always look back at this year as one where I got to chase a dream and just become, and just because it comes to an end, it doesn't mean that it failed. It's just time for the next challenge. So thank you, my beautiful listener, for giving me your time. I do not take that for granted, and I hope we can meet again somewhere in the future. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, 
working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.